0: Hello, my friends. How are you doing? This is Coffee Chug Bucks, and we are here with the next season of Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast, guys. We have some phenomenal guests, and this first one to kick off the season this is someone who I have admired for so long. He was actually a guest and took the risk to join my podcast way back when in 2013 when I started this off. He is an author and a writer uh, for Wired magazine, Smithsonian, New York Times, and his latest book, Coders, just came out in March, and I'm so excited to have a chance to. Speak speak. speak with the author Clive Thompson. I just simply love his work. He is the one when I get my Wired magazine every month, it is the first article I go and read over and over again. Um, So this is just a great conversation as we dive into his research and the discoveries that he found around the world of coders. Now his book is not focused on education, but I think it's very important that we continue to expand and learn from people who are doing the work that we're exposing kids learning interests and passions to be in. In this case, coding and computer science is huge. We know that it's being push more and more across the nation and this is a great opportunity to learn more about what is going on in the coding world what are the the myths and the misconceptions and things that we need to be aware of in this conversation we have an opportunity to do that and sit down with Clive and and talk about all the stuff he's learned in his book and his research along the way Guys, as we get going, if you find this podcast enjoyable and helpful, I would love it if you would share it with others on social media, take screenshots, let people know. Um, The more listeners we get, the better the conversations, the more that we can empower one another. All right, my friends, enough of this tall, bald, ugly guy talking at you. Let's get into the action with Clive Thompson talking about his newest book, Coders.
1: I woke up at six o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs. Me and coffee chugs, talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Aaron in Mauer, outside the box thinker, here to teach each and every teacher how to tinker. Living on the edge of chaos, going insane. Listening to coffee chugs, I can't be pulled One of the top teachers in Iowa, word is born. Here to show the world that there's more here than corn. Chaos.
0: All right. Hello, everyone. How you doing? This is Coffee Chug here with another episode on Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. And we are here with an author that I have so much respect for. I have followed his work for a very long time. And actually, um, he was kind enough way back in the day when I decided to take the plunge into podcasting to jump on my show. I think he was one of the very first guests. I had to go back and look. It was actually the, the sixth episode. And so um, it was such a great honor back then um, to have him on the show and even more exciting. And more of an honor to have him on the show here today. And so, Clive, let's jump into the work, and just uh, before we get into the work, introduce you, um, and so if you could tell everybody who you are and uh, what you do.
1: Well, um, so I am a writer, a journalist. I write about science and technology and their effect on everyday life, and mostly uh, I write for the New York Times Magazine and for Wired uh, and Smithsonian Magazine, uh, but I also write books, and my latest one just came out. Uh, at the end of march and it's called coders the making of a new tribe and the remaking of the world
0: i love it and for those that haven't seen the book or read the book i'll have the link in the show notes and um, if you're not a reader of wired or new york times you need to be and i know personally, uh, your work is one I always go to, especially with my Wired magazine, even still to this day. It's the first article I go to to read right away every time I get my my latest Wired magazine. So I always appreciate the work that you've got going on. Terrific. And in your latest book, Coder, it really intrigued me because in the educational landscape right now, obviously STEM has been a monster in terms of the buzz and trying to get it infused into schools. But we have another part of that that's really starting to strengthen, which is computer science. And and lots of states are adopting standards, and they're trying to figure out whether it should be required or volunteer standards and all this type of stuff. And so um, when I saw your book, Coders, I was really, really fascinated um, by your investigative reporting and what you were going to find. And so could you give, just to set the stage here mm-hmm, for some of these sure. questions, just a quick little kind of 30-second elevator pitch of what the book is about?
1: Sure. The book is about um, uh, the world of coders, the people that make software. Um, what type of people are drawn to it? You know, what type of people find that um, interesting and and thrilling to do, uh, and uh, and 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 what implications that has for the rest of us? Because um, I wanted to understand what makes coders tick, uh, what are their priorities, what do they what do they enjoy doing a lot of, what do they dislike doing? Because that sort of helps explain a little bit of uh, the priorities behind the software that we're using. You know, the world that they are creating for us. Why are they creating it the way they are? That's kind of what the book is attempting to answer.
0: Yeah. And there were so many, I mean, I was just looking, I think I had like 124 highlights as I was going through and reading your book. There were just so many, um, tidbits of information and things that, uh, really kind of got me thinking in in new lens. And, and probably the one question that, uh, for those that follow this show, they know I'm going to ask, so I'm just, I'm just going to get it out of the way now. And you've probably been asked this a million times already, but, you know, as we think about coding and coders and the culture and, and the future of it and, and what it needs to be. And then thinking about what can we do in the education system, it comes down to this this question that everybody has somewhat of a different answer to, and that is, should we teach kids to code in school? And I know you, you, talk, you dabble about in this a little bit in, towards the end of the book, which I found really fascinating with the different insights. But I was curious for you, as you kind of went and interviewed all these people and visited all these places and uncovered all sorts of the, the nuances and misconceptions of, of coders and, and the coding culture. Uh, what, what is your stance about the idea of teaching kids to code?
1: Um, so my stance on teaching kids to code is that it is a very good idea to have formal mechanisms that introduce kids in elementary school and in middle school, uh, to coding, so that they can see what it's like. And that's because, um, you want to be able to identify the subset of kids. Um, and it's, you know, it's probably a minority who really, really liked to, to do this, who just get bit by that bug and go, Oh my God, you know, this opened a door that I didn't know existed. And, uh, I want to do this for the rest of my life for creative reasons, for practical reasons, for all sorts of reasons. Uh, and the reason why I think it's a good idea to have formal mechanisms when you're young is that a lot of the developers i talked to in the book um would would talk about uh not all of them but but quite, quite a few i would say certainly a majority talked about discovering it when they were a kid and that and that sort of being key to their lifelong romance with this with this some um, art and this craft um but you know um you can only discover it if you're given the opportunity to do so and right now mostly that is, again, not always, but largely in the hands of more well-off kids, right, you know, uh, certainly in the United States, because, um, you know, they discover it because they, you know, have access to someone that knows a bit about computers and can sort of help them out learning a little bit. Um, They're, you know, they, they maybe have their own machine at home, you know, they have their own laptop. Uh, there's a whole bunch of things going on, um, so so I believe I, so I believe strongly in you know broadening those opportunities for kids to discover that this is something that they that they thrill to, and so I think having some integration of it into school, like not a massive amount, but just enough that it sort of illustrates that. So that's kind of the first reason. There's a couple other reasons though. Uh, th- another one is that. Um, You know, it uh, it definitely is a a powerful way of thinking, you know, I mean, like when you are programming, you are doing this very interesting act. You are taking complex problems, complex tasks and breaking them down into into tiny little steps so that you have to think very logically, very systematically. Um, That's actually kind of a that's kind of a, a, a a can be quite a fun thing to do. Um, B, it, uh, it's a very useful way to, to learn how to do this, what, um, uh, Jeanette Wong, a, a computer scientist, uh, sort of uh, popularized the phrase computational thinking. Um, and it, it's, 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 it's useful in all walks of life. Even if you're not doing programming per se, being able to think computationally, to, to think about how to break things down into little steps is a very powerful mental technique. And you, uh, you learn a lot of it while you're coding. So that's another sort of reason to put it in there. Um. And, and I think the final third reason is that, um, is that uh, there is, uh, there, there's really a lot of – like there's this idea when they, you talk about coding that you're teaching kids coding so that they can become a full-time software developer, right? So right. that that is what they're going to do with, with their job. Um, and I think and, – and that's sort of what I was getting at with that first point where you want to introduce it to the kids, the sort of 10 percent who go, oh my god, like this is an overwhelming – fun passionate thing i'm doing and they're the ones that will go off and do that um but there's a whole bunch of other folks that are more like you know me who you know i'm a journalist and i like being a journalist um but there is if you know a little bit of coding uh certainly if you've been exposed to it if you've been shown what it can do and one of the things it's very good at doing is automating repetitive tasks um that a lot of what computer software does is basically just take things that humans were doing very slowly uh, in a rote, you know, brute force fashion and automate it so that it doesn't have to be done by us anymore. And when you know a little bit of programming, you can often do these things for yourself in your everyday life. You can start to see things in your work, whether you are, I mean, I work as a journalist and I automate things that I do. And I know people that work, you know, in in accounting, in marketing, in communications, in nursing, uh you know it, you name it hospitality there if you work at any point in time with a computer and with with any sort of information at all you will you would probably be able to find some very fun and interesting things you can do to make yourself much more effective at uh, at um uh you know at at life you know by by knowing coding um so those those are kind of those are kind of the, the main you know practical things um i mean i would also add i would throw in that it is artistically a blast uh I do a lot of coding that is just literally for fun, like it's like I make weird little games I make animations, I do computer art uh that's probably fifty percent of what I do. I do it literally to to relax because it is a, a pleasant fun creative thing to do so so i i you know and I, I believe in introducing kids to things that are pleasant fun and creative to do
0: yeah no, i and as you were talking just so many little light bulb moments went off, and I know I was thinking this idea of the idea of equity, um, you talked about, you know, for the longest time, a lot of these kids were able to become fascinated in coding. It's because maybe they came from privilege or wealth or had the, the machines sure. and the tools uh-huh. to be able to do that. But now as, as things become cheaper and more accessible, I think there's one of those key things and I know, like in my job where I, I help support schools in STEM and computer science and coding, it's the idea of we need to make sure that kids at least have this in their toolbox. It's not that, you know, I always talk with with the people in charge, like we're not bringing in computer science because we need more computer scientists. Just like we don't teach um, literacy, so we create the next wave of of authors. Of novelists, exactly. Right, you know, the, the idea of computational thinking, and I'm glad you touched on that. Like these are thinking processes. These are things that allow us to just to be good productive humans, you know, and for that small minority that falls in love with it, you know what, there are classes and there are pathways for you to dive into this and do it for a living.
1: Um, yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, I, I think it, 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 there's a strong equity component to this. There's a strong um, sort of, uh, you know, general intellectual toolbox component to it. And I recognize, I mean, I know that it it is hard to add things to the curriculum. Like, they're already they're already struggling to cram as much in as they can. So... So I, I sort of I, I definitely get that. I mean, like, you know, but which I should point out that there's there's a lot of the one of the nice things about coding is because, you know, what you're often what you're trying to do. I mean, like, like OK, so there's a 10 percent of kids who who want to code merely because the act of coding itself is fun. Right. Like it yeah. is. They, they're going to become developers. Uh, but for all the other ones. um you know, the, the coding is there to help them accomplish a task that they want to do. Uh, and so that's one of the reasons why it's, I think, useful to sort of, you know, you know, integrate it without even necessarily thinking of it as computer programming, just as something that you're doing because it's going to make this other task easier, you know. Yeah. So like uh, so with, you know, with, you know, I've got a couple kids and, you know, obviously they have the uh, the great good fortune of uh, of of me knowing all this technical stuff so you know they're they don't have any difficulty um getting exposure (laughs) certainly to to uh, technological things but you know um but nonetheless you know they they want to do the things they want to do and so it's been interesting seeing the different ways that um that they'll uh find coding sort of a a, like a a fun thing to do so just the other day i was in uh a micro center which is like a you know like a a tech shop sells like you know technology stuff yeah and i saw this stack of things called the bbc Microbit. Mm. i didn't know what it was <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're it, great i love yeah them. <laughs> never seen them yeah so I, I looked at it and i thought oh it's kind of interesting i googled it when i got home i thought oh that's delightful so i went back and i bought one there's 16 bucks uh and i was and i just like literally for myself right you know <laughs> because it was just i was like i want to play around yeah. with this thing and so I started making, you know, trying to figure out how to make little games on it and, like, making little animations. And so one of my kids saw that, and and he he really digs um, uh, art, and he, like, he he enjoys doing, like, um, he's made, like, animations using, like, everything from flipbook animations to, um, you know, like, old school, you know, using paper to using animation tools and whatnot. And so he quickly realized, oh, you can, you can program, like – you know cool like gif like animations on this five by five grid of LEDs and that's sort of an interesting artistic challenge like You know because it's such a restricted You know pixel grid, you know, it's right. kind of fun to try and figure out something fun So he uh, so he got himself one and has spent the last week, you know sort oh. of pouring out all this code that is in service of creating these these fascinating little little animations, right? You know, and I think I, I think he's done some Python before, so it wasn't one hundred percent new to him. But you know, he had to, you know, sort of, you know, he was refreshing himself on all these things and relearning all these things and how to how to, you know, you know, sort of manipulate uh, lists and whatnot and and these very and, and you know, so he's doing it because he wants to create this interesting artistic thing, you know, and like that that is kind of I think, you know, one of the keys curriculum wise is to have it in there in service of doing some other interesting thing you know it could be a language thing it could be like you know it could be an expressive thing it could be an analytical thing it could be like a fun thing but uh but some sort of other thing is 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 often the is often the key because in one sense that also replicates reality right like you know in my everyday life i mean i enjoy i actually do enjoy coding like i think there's a part of me that would be a little bit like that 10% of kids. Like there's – I find it pleasant merely to, to make something happen. Right. Although I think, that's, I think that's also true for, for a shockingly large number of people. When they, when they execute the code, when it does what they want, it is very fun. It, and it is fun in a – a, it is a quality of delight that is different from other types of delight. It is. It is. A, 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 I'm not saying it's better. I'm saying it's different. You can only get it when you're coding, right? And so th- that fun r- remains there. And I think. I think you know is a, is a is a thing to expose kids to, so they can sort of feel that. The point being, um, you know, I uh, you know the reason why this sort of teach code teach some coding while you're teaching someone how to do some other cool thing they want to do that's how that's how you learn coding it's very similar to the reason why i learn anything in coding is because there's something i want to do and i just well i have to learn how to do that now basically you know and 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 i you know every every week there's some other new thing that i want to do with my you know hobbyist small amount of coding skills but it forces me to learn and grow
0: Yeah, I love that, and that it's funny as you were, I'm I'm nodding my head here as if people can see me, but you're talking about that feeling of delight, like I just literally had that a couple days ago, so um, I run a, with a couple other other people we run a a summer robotics program for kids in our area, we've been doing it now for for 10 years, and one of the challenges we have this year is to, kids create a a dragster robot using the Lego EV3 Mindstorms, and so I wanted to create just a little more fancier course, not just having tape on the floor and saying go, and so I challenge myself to using arduino and then photo resistors to when any of the photo resistors across the finish line um the threshold was triggered it would display a time on an led screen long story oh, short cool. yeah it like i dabble in code i'm not an expert but like I, yeah. I understand the basics of a lot of those and i could not get this thing to work um, <laughs> it finally worked the other day and oh wow. that feeling of delight like i like you know yeah. squealed like a little child yeah. like I, I was so excited I'm like it worked my code yeah. works it, it yeah. actually is doing yeah. what I said it to do and So so there, there's such a, a great feeling there and um you know as you yeah, talking about, exactly yeah
1: it, it, it feels like it's worth encouraging kids to try this out just so they can sort of feel what that feels like Yeah, because it, it's a it's a it's a terrific feeling of mastery uh and and respect and um uh, one of the coders that I interviewed for my book um uh, he and I sort of, you know, he's he a very philosophical guy. Um, uh, he, he, Dave Guarino, he, uh, he, uh, when I met him, he was working for code for America, uh, and just, you know, uh, was incredibly thoughtful about code and society and technology. And, w- and when the book came out, he was reading it and we, we were emailing back and forth and he, and he said, you know, he goes, I think I figured out kind of, you know, th- the sort of short, shortest way to express what are the pleasures that, you know, we talked about that are in your book, uh. And he basically said that, you know, code is the pleasure of agency. Mm. It is the pleasure of being able to make things happen. And there's and, – and obviously, you know, a lot of things in our lives give us uh, a feeling of agency. But there's something very direct about the agency of, of writing code and having the machine do what you want. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a very linear uh, mapping of, of – of sort of your desire for agency onto what the machine gives you back.
0: I love that. I love that that concept of agency. I mean, there's so much of that happening in education. How do we help students develop their own agency to kind of be the in, in the driver's seat of their education and their learning to kind of figure out what they want to do with their life? And so that's a, a really, really great connection. And, you know, as we think about that idea of agency, and then tying it back to, as you were talking about your discovery of the micro bit, you know, one of the things I know many educators and schools face is where in the world do we have time in the curriculum? Um, and, you know, I, know. I just wanted to, to share one thing that we've been doing, actually it's, I'm heading to the school here uh, right after this 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 interview is we use micro bits in a, a fourth grade classroom and we knocked out social studies and literacy standards. And so for people to think like, well, I don't have a, a computer science degree, or I don't know how to code, like, therefore I can't do this. You can. We used the micro bits. Uh, we had uh, worked with some teachers. We developed stuff on Greek mythology. So we started with, uh, we didn't tell kids, today you're going to learn how to code and do computer science. Like that was just like the natural right, yeah, byproduct yeah. of yeah. the learning. But the kids would read a Greek myth and then we would take an element of that myth and they would have to bring it to life using the micro bits. So we did like um, with Orpheus and, and like with the, the musical instrument where Orpheus has this instrument that can make people happy or sad. They had to use, the micro bit and program it to make their own um, lyre or harp um, to actually play music and so now they have to figure out we have design thinking, we have to actually engineer an instrument then they have to code and have musical notes and this is all being woven through literacy and history and you know we did you know, so we had all these really cool projects we did one with Pandora's box where the the micro bit had to have symbols similar to what your son was doing with the art they had to create and code their own art that represented the, the items that were in Pandora's box, you know, and we did some origami folding for the box, and then when they opened it up, the, the micro bit would display, you know, hope and despair and things like that, and And what they're learning is coding, but not for the sake of coding, just to, like, how do you get the ideas out of your head and into the real world, and so they had to kind of build this stuff in, and, and they were learning, and they were... In- Completely incredible what the kids were doing because, you know, just much like your son, what these ideas of agency is, like, it became theirs, right? Like, it was their product. Like, this was my Pandora's box. This is my instrument that plays the music that I wanted to play. Um, and it reminds me a lot of what you talk to in the book about um, – the idea of neopets for those that are yeah, around—we're yeah, dating ourselves—and the love yeah. of Minecraft, like those things in there. The byproduct is kids are understanding computational thinking and coding if they're using the redstone, but they're not doing it because they want to code. You know, I think you even talked about MySpace, how we used to just you know glam up our MySpace, sure. like yeah. people were embedding yeah. that code not because they wanted to be coders, because but because they wanted to express themselves. And I think that that that's a really key element of as we think about whether we're in the classroom or not is understanding code because it allows us to express our learning mm-hmm. and, and who we want to be and it doesn't have to be a kind of like textbook driven everybody on page 22 now we're going to code this like you lose people yeah. that way because there's there's no invested interest there's no as you said agency in the learning to want to even learn it in the first place
1: yeah 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 i'm i'm a i'm uh, the more I've looked at it, I mean, I don't, I don't, um, this, but with this book, particular book, I didn't go deeply into schools or anything like that. Right, case, right, um, right, I was looking at professional coders, but, um, but just, just, uh, you know, you know, my own observations of, um, of, of, of sort of, yeah, again, these, these, you know, pathways that people talked about finding into code definitely, um, you know, personal expression and making stuff to show other people is a is a is a, is a real strong motivator. So I think there's enormous overlap uh, for coding w- w- in classes. Particularly, I mean, I would say you know I think art is a really strong one. There are so many visually interesting things you can do with code that require you to learn all the like. I mean, you know, you could literally have kids just like we're just going to create cool looking designs using code, uh, and this is going to be like an art segment for like the next three weeks. Uh, And at the end of those three weeks, you know, without having said this is coding in any way, they'd know, you know, they'd know basics like, you know, how to how to how to how to loop something, you know, how to, you know, declare like, you know, an array of things, how to think about the, you know, drawing on a grid on a on a on a screen like it's uh, it's amazing. You know, like there's 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 a strong. Uh, and, and maybe I'm just biased this way because that's kind of the stuff that is, I, I enjoy doing. That stuff myself, but I've I've just really seen that come to life. And one of the one of the, there was a there was one developer I spoke to who was in a uh, a company that came out of Y Combinator. Uh, that boy, it's what was it called again? I'm it's it's a video thing, and I can't remember what it what it's now. I'll try and think of it while we talk. Basically, it was um it was a very cool thing. It was it was it was sort of teaching coding, and it was aimed specifically at. Uh, at uh, at girls, uh, they were running after school programs and whatnot, and then they were they were also developing something that they could sell as a curriculum package. And what they were teaching was they were teaching JavaScript for um, you know, manipulating the pixels in a in a video or a or or a picture, and you know, so that they start off with just saying you know. You know, how did they make these filters that make things look better? You know, well, what they do is, you know, they just go through the, the picture, you know, pixel by pixel, you know, in an X, Y grid. And, they're, you know, they look for. And, and that you know, you know, you can show them, you know, like you can here's this here's this one line of code That will tell you, you know, the color of every pixel cool and, and as a number All right, suppose you wanted to take all the reds and make them, you know, a little redder, you know, well, you know You know, here's a here's it This is what these numbers mean to the colors to increase the redness You're sort of increasing that number, you know, by by X amount and so now we have to go through that That image and find everyone and replace it, you know, every time you find red, you know, replace it with a slightly higher number and, you know, lo and behold, you're sort of illustrating how to do this thing that that they do all the time in their social lives. Right. You know, which is to think about how to how to um, this sort of interesting aesthetic consideration of how to take something that they take a picture of and change it or transform it in some sort of way to make it prettier, uglier, weirder, more interesting. Uh, and this became an incredibly powerful route to getting um to getting uh, kids interested in these in these uh, you know fascinating, fun, challenging computer science uh, uh, sort of concepts.
0: Yeah, and and you, you touched there about this this organization that was helping girls with coding, and one of the questions that you know comes up time and time again is one I think some of the roles that schools can place. And I know the whole book wasn't based on education. Um, sure, yeah but, yeah. but this idea of, I think, schools can play a large role in, in increasing the equity and the access to girls and minorities and just kids who maybe haven't had a chance to be exposed to coding and computer science. Um, but as you unraveled in the book, you you talk about, and I thought you did a wonderful job of kind of keeping a, a very balanced look at like the programmer culture and just some of the, you know, some of these places that are very, this kind of like this white, wealthy um, male, you know, college or college dropout type cultures and things like that. And as we think about in the, in the role of, of education and even parents, maybe not just education, like. The reason I think we need to keep pushing some of that is because we can get more of those voices at the table. But at the same time, you know, and, and maybe it's a I don't know if that it's a loaded question or not. Like, but do you think it's safe to continue to recommend people to get into these fields? You know, because we hear in the in, in the in the news and the social media spheres, anyways, time and time again, these cultures that are just treat people poorly. You know, and I know that's not every company. That, that that's a huge generalization of stuff, but that is the message that's out there, right? Like, you better be white and male and wealthy and live in Silicon Valley um, if you want any shot at a career in computer science. And, and yeah, we yeah. know that's not true, but there's definitely yeah. trends in that way. That's why those stories continue to permeate. And so um, as you were diving into that, I mean, do you, yeah. do you do you see the shift happening? Is it, you know, I don't want to say is it safe because anybody has the opportunity to do these things and I, I don't want to make it look like it, we shouldn't. Have them yep. in there, but it's but I, think, I definitely think it's something that we need to think about. Like I often think about myself as an educator, and my wife's an educator, and there are times where my wife and I have these conversations, like you know, like if one of our kids wants to be a teacher, like like do we encourage that or discourage it? Because the landscape right now. Is a little ugly in education, you know, on a national level. Like, what's it going to look like, you know? And not that you ever want to hinder someone's passion or interest, but like just the stark realities of things that are happening, right? And so, yeah. I didn't yeah. know. Um, I don't know if it's really a question more just maybe insight. Like, mm-hmm. as you uncovered all those cultures and you dug into things and you got to see things shifting, like, what do, what were you able to gather? Or what do you do? Do you see a shift happening in these these, these coder environments?
1: Well, uh, so if if the question is is a two prong question here, one is, you know, uh, and they're related, you know, is it is it ethical to encourage young women to go into um, coding if uh, they're going to be if you're essentially marching them into some pretty toxic environments. Right. Uh, That that, that's certainly a question that I heard from people I interviewed. it's a question I got from Sue Gardner uh, who uh, a woman who ran uh, the Wikimedia Foundation for seven years. Uh, that's the foundation that produces you know Wikipedia among other things. and uh, you know she spent you know seven years in Silicon Valley and then left and decided to do a research project because she you know she'd been puzzled why there were so few women in in in, in the ranks of coding and And thus, in the ranks of leadership roles at tech companies, you know, you got got even less women the higher higher you went up. And so she did a survey of 1,400 women and uh, was particularly interested in this question of, you know, so, you know, if you left Silicon Valley, if you left coding and tech and engineering, why did you leave? And they all said that, uh, you know, they started off really enjoying, like when they were young, you know, computer science graduates or just, you know, young starting their first job, they really loved it. Like they were excited. They were you know, getting to do this, this cool thing, coding, getting paid for it, uh, getting interesting challenges and, 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 they felt, you know, pretty well accepted. It was as they, as it began to rise or as they tried to rise that they ran into roadblocks and, you know, sort of glass ceilings and, and watched, you know, um, you know, people get opportunities that, you know of even lesser talent than them uh and they started getting abuse and harassment so um so i mean it's not to say that things were always great when they showed up but it it actually got worse as they went along you know as they as they tried to get higher up until eventually they said screw it this industry is too is too misogynist i'm not going to get forward in i'm going to go somewhere else where uh i can use my technical skills and it'll be you know valued in healthcare in in um you know, in, in government, in, in, uh, in, you know, transportation anywhere, basically. Um, so when I, f- we finished talking about this, Sue said to me, she's going, yeah, I sometimes wonder whether I should be encouraging young women to go into coding, knowing that this is what awaits them. So, uh, uh, but you know, in the long run, um, a lot of the people I talk to, a lot of the women I talk to who face that stuff said that, um, that yes, they still encourage, uh, young women to go into this for a couple reasons. One is that, it genuinely is a highly in demand, uh, powerful craft that can give you – uh, that, that can give you, doesn't immediately give you or necessarily give you, but can give you a seat at the table uh, where a lot of important decisions about society are being made. Um, uh, secondarily, of course, you know, um, unless there are more women in higher-up roles in these companies, you know, nothing is going to change unless these companies decide to actively change their um, – their cultures that have uh, become pretty corrosive over 30 years. Nothing is going to change, um, and uh, uh, and so those changes are going to require, you know, a lot of conversation and a lot of pressure. Um, is that conversation and pressure happening right now? Yes, I think it is. Um, absolutely. Um, when I just the other day I was speaking to a, a, a sort of a, a, a mid-career coder, a real rock star who has been at Facebook and Google and Cora. And Pinterest, and I said, you know, and she's done activist work trying to get more, more um, women into coding, and to get uh, companies to adopt uh, uh, and venture capitalists to support anti-harassment policies at companies. And I said, you know, so you know, you've been doing this for 10 years now. What's what's it like? And she said, she she said, I think it's getting a little better. Uh, um, And that's that's progress, right? That's that's not not progress. Right. The other thing, the other thing that's happening, and this is encouraging, is that there is a large uptick. In the number of women who are interested in going into um, computer science at college, like um, and you know this to give you a sense of how significant this was, the last uptick for women when when there was a rising number of women that wanted to go into computer science and study it was in the 1970s. Oh wow! Uh, and it peaked in like 1984, and then plummeted. It went way 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 down, and What has been flat for 30 years, like literally, you know, as 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 the sort of desire of men to go into computer programming went up and down, you know, depending on on the economy, depending on depending on other things uh, for women it just stayed totally flat because they sort of understood, hey, this this realm is like has just turned into a boys club and we are not welcome. And we're going to go somewhere else where we are welcome. Right. You know, Uh, but beginning around 2011, 2012, it started to go sharply upwards. And that is incredibly interesting um, because we are now coming up on maybe 10 years of rising, rising, rising interest for women in flooding into computer science, and that is that's great because that's one of the places where um, where where you know, beginning in the 80s, there was a message of okay, we don't you know we don't want uh, we don't want anyone except for like the the young hackers who spent five years. from age 12 onwards hacking and that tended to be young boys um, and that culture started to change uh, and so that's great so I, I think that like y- you know merely at the level of computer science things are more uh, less straightforwardly sexist and misogynist as, as it would have been you know 20 or 25 years ago so that's good too um, the other thing is you know that's worth thinking about is like you know uh, a, a lot of the real horror stories Come out of the major tech companies uh that we think of as tech companies, right like you know we think of Google as a tech company, we think yeah. of Facebook as a tech company you know we do not think of uh you know um we we do not think of Pfizer as a tech company mm. you know you know or, or as a, a company that plays out of programmers. you don't think of, you know, of uh, of the Veterans Administration as a thing that employs coders. We don't think necessarily of, uh, you know, McDonald's as a company that employs coders or Walmart as, but they employ tons of coders and they are in all sorts of different parts of the country and some of these large companies that have real HR departments, you know, actually have much better cultures, right, you know, and so I would frequently hear from uh, men and women who worked at you know, in, in the sort of the, the other parts of the industry and keep in mind that like, you know, only 8% of all coding jobs are in Silicon Valley, like 92% of them are somewhere else in the country, you know, now granted that there's a bunch clustered in places like, you know, New York and big cities, but you know, all over the country, there's this, there's this crushing demand for computer programmers that they often can't Satisfied because um, everyone's fleeing for the coasts. So you know, if you're in, if you, if you're located in, particularly if you're located in, uh, and like a, a state that isn't coastal, you know, you've probably got a lot of employers that rather more desperately want to make you happy <laughs> and want to right. keep you there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um. So I'm a I'm a big fan of telling people, you know, you know, don't immediately just think of going to one of the big coastal cities, particularly Silicon Valley. Like there's a There is a a, a hungry uh, appetite for talent, uh, including at large companies that uh, that generally have a much better work culture than these than these fizzy youth, you know, young bro dominated startups in Silicon Valley. And there is some fascinating technical challenges and bundles of money to be made at these places. Um, So that that's that's kind of the, the other thing I would say.
0: Yeah, no, that's it's it's so powerful to hear that. This, you know, as you think through all these things, it's that idea of, um, you know, the opportunities. And I think, and maybe this is one of the things that I see with the increase in in women and and hopefully then soon minorities. And we don't even have to talk about how do we increase numbers. It's just that we have people flooding these fields. Is because I think people are starting to realize it's more than just sitting. You know, necessarily behind a computer screen, uh, 20 hours a day. This idea that, you know, for a lot of coders, yeah. you're spending a lot of your time in meetings and brainstorming and problem solving. And more importantly, it's now in every facet of our life. And so yeah. Um, yeah. it's not just, you know, coding to make a video game. You know, we can, yeah. you know, yeah. we, there's a lot of research, and you talk about it too in the book, that, you know, um, females typically they want to help make the world a better place. And now there is so many avenues for that. Um, I was well, just that, talking. That, that, yeah, go
1: ahead. That's one of the theories as to why, um, why the interest in women began to really rise around 2011 is because you know in the you know in the 90s you know before the internet came along it was it was if you studied computer science you know there was there was kind of a question mark as to exactly what you did with that for the rest of your life right you know now for the very nerdy folks who just enjoy coding for coding's sake it didn't it sort of doesn't matter what you get asked to do with those skills, you just want to be paid to sit around coding, yeah, right? Right <laughs> uh, uh, um, and uh, but for anyone else who's who who like finds that Thrilling and interesting but also wants to have an impact on the world. It wasn't clear, you know in 1992 Uh, what that impact would be and so once the internet came along and more importantly once the mobile phone came along I think in 2000, uh, the 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 mobile the mobile computer, let's call it, uh, the iphone in 2007 uh you know it became Crystal clear that software was brokering major parts of people's lives ranging from how they learned about the world to how they um, How they took action in the world how they communicated with other people to how they bought things to how they Traveled around to how they um, learned news to how they represented themselves to themselves, you know, like how they documented their lives and uh, that's all software and so you know, uh, uh, Linda Sachs, a terrific researcher who has, you know, spent 20, 20 years, you know, studying uh, data on why uh, women and other underrepresented groups do or don't go into coding. You know, she told me, yeah, she thinks that um, that the, the, the sort of migration of code and software to the center of our lives is, is a big reason for the, the sort of burst of interest uh, that we've seen in, in uh, uh, for women and, and other under, uh, other underrepresented groups in recent years. Yeah,
0: no, it's I just, it's it's so important. I think to continue to have those conversations and and just that exposure, you know. And I do I do some presentation and workshops, and we I always talk with people, and I always say, you know, when you ask kids what they want to be when they grow up, you know, they tell you they want to be a YouTuber or a video gamer or a professional athlete or they you know they want to be you know the next sure. Kim yeah. Kardashian, whatever yeah. it might be, and I'm like and and why is that? And then the reason is because it's in their face twenty four seven. That's like, right what have we done to let them know that this job exists and this job exists and this job exists, you know? And, and I think those are things that are really important. You know, I had this conversation even with my son who's not into coding at all um, yeah. but he's in the, in the sports and athletics. And I was talking about like, you know, if, if you have, aspire to be a college football player one day, like your workout gear is gonna be embedded in sensors. Like there's someone writing code to make sure that yeah, you're totally. you know, that you're not dehydrated and the the helmet has these sensors. Like there's like you can make a whole career in a sport that you love and making it better for others. Like it's just helping people see those, those connections, just like you said, that, you know, it's now flooded in every aspect of our life, um, which I think is is really important to just keep letting kids and people know that that is the reality, that it's more than just, you know, Facebook and Google and, and, and and those big monsters. And so,
1: yeah, 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 no, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think the, um, the, one of the challenges on the educational level is how to sort of communicate the enormous welter. Of, of opportunities that um, that you know that exist in this field uh, that are that are more than the the, the the sort of obvious ones that spring to mind
0: yeah well I want to be really respectful of your time um, and I know we're, we're getting close to, to wrapping this up um, and I could, I could just talk to you all day but we all have things to do like a job but um, but I wanted to ask you uh, one last question and we can kind of maybe wrap this up and bring it full circle is and you can approach it either two ways one of the things is I mean you talk about so many great ideas in the book and I really hope people will go and check this out and read it because it just—it really, I think about from an educator lens as we are having these conversations in classrooms to make sure that we are tying it and connecting it to the, I don't want to call it the real world but the people in the fields doing the work too and making sure that there's a common thread through it all. Um, but as you're we're doing your research and having these conversations with people um, what was either a misconception um, that that you found to be not true or you could take it another way in terms of like what did you discover in your journey that you weren't planning to necessarily uncover you know you kind of like when you you plan for these you kind of have goals that you're after and you could take it either way but I was just curious
1: here's one that's I think really key to education um and 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 sort of and and is worth thinking about as we think about you know getting kids into coding and, and sort of almost how we teach coding um one of the, you know one of the things that was a surprise that I didn't expect to find um, was that coding, and all the coders told me about this uh, is enormously frustrating, uh, because everything they're dealing with is always broken. They write five lines of code and they try and run it, and it doesn't work. <laughs> uh, and it doesn't work because either they made a mistake or they didn't understand maybe the library of software they're working with, so they sort of didn't quite get the command right, or maybe this thing that they're writing is trying to interact with someone else's code over there, and, and uh, someone else's code is broken. But basically, the the the, the reality of most coding is not at all what you see in movies or TVs where they sit down and they just type the stuff out. Most of it is sitting and staring at the screen and trying to figure out what's wrong. Like I'm like on the order of well into the 90% range. That's what coding is. And so the people that survive and thrive in coding are the ones that can deal with that frustration, that can, that can sort of just work past it, that can go, okay, let me – try something else. Let me try, you know, isolating one chunk of the code and seeing if did these two lines work out of these, out of these hundred. Okay. Did these two lines work, you know, and sort of methodically get through it. And then, uh, so they can get to that, that wonderful rush, that moment when it happens, kind of like with you, with you and your, your thing that wasn't working. Right. Um, the reason why I think, and so that struck me so much that I wrote a whole chapter based on it, um, that I sometimes think is one of the most important chapters Uh, in the book for anyone that's interested in how to get people into coding because it's actually an important thing to communicate in the process of telling people, hey, we're going to do this coding, which is that, you know, this stuff is not going to work most of the time. And that is an experience that you're going to have and the people at Google have and the people at Facebook have and that everyone has, even people that have been coding for 30 years, this is the reality of what they do all day long, right? Uh, Coding is figuring out how, how to get something that's not working, working. Um, and, uh, and sometimes I like, I look at all these, these learn to code initiatives and I'm like, you know, this should be sort of part of the message, like in a really deep way. Right. Um, that like, and, 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 it, you know, I think it actually dovetails in, in a wonderful way with the, the, the awakening awareness of the importance of determination and grit and persistence and resilience in education. Right. You know, that, that, that a lot of, a lot of, um, what makes people thrive in any field is simply their refusal to give up when things are hard, right? Yeah. Uh, And it's it is extremely true in coding, and it's and it uh, um and it's true, and it never stops being true. That's the thing that I think is interesting. It never it never goes away. Like because the the better the coders get, the the harder the challenges they tackle, and they're then they're just. They're doing the same thing that they did on the first day they were coding. They're staring at the stuff that's not working, trying to figure it out. <laughs> so that is that that is really like this is strikes me as something that needs to be communicated along the way that we are teaching kids to code, um, in uh, as both like a sort of a, a reality of what it is uh, a challenge. Um, a consolation it you are now part of this tribe of people you know on the way up to the top people at Google, right? you know you're doing the same thing they doing like when you're sitting there and you're frustrated and you've been doing this for five hours, that is exactly that's when you're a coder, not when the thing works, but when it's not working. that's right. coding right? I love you that. know
0: yeah. Yeah, no, that's so true, and it reminds me, I mean, there's so many conversations we have around the idea of perseverance and grit, and whether we want to call them the soft skills or life skills, you know, of creativity and collaboration and communication, and really all those things are all bundled in perfectly to the life of a coder. Yeah. Here is yeah. a problem, we need yeah. a solution, go forth and figure it out, and I think along with all those skills, there's those those bigger things that so many of us are have a hard time doing, which is asking for help, <laughs> you know, yeah, and, yeah. And, and sometimes readily admitting, I don't know how to do this, but that doesn't yeah. mean that we don't try, um, yeah. and so I think that those are just key concepts that I think as, as people are thinking about infusing computer science and coding into classrooms or or with their own children, think, I think that is a key point for, for us to all make sure we hammer in is, you know, the realities yeah. of, of really what this is, it's not just, think you are going to work in five seconds in this society of totally. instant gratification, and I should be able to Code for three minutes, and all of a sudden have Minecraft yeah. at, at my fingertips. Like that's just yeah, not yeah, how yeah. it works. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Clyde, totally, this has been a totally. phenomenal, phenomenal conversation. I think there's there's so many key points, and and for those that want to dive even more into this, he covers so many other topics that are so important for us, especially as educators, to be considering and and just wrapping our heads around um, as we think about the world of of coders and and what it means for for all of us, whether we're an educator, a parent, just um, a citizen of the world. And so, Clive, I know the book is available on every single platform available, but if people want to reach out and uh, find more of your work or just connect with you, where is it that they can go?
1: Uh, You can just go to my website, uh, clivethompson.net, and it'll have links to the book to... um to my other places online, you know, like my uh, my Twitter, which I'm, I'm very active on Twitter, uh, and also Instagram, and email, they want to reach me.
0: Perfect. Clive, I, I can't thank you enough for your time. It's truly been an honor, and uh, thank you so much for uh, sharing some more of what you've been able to uncover in your, your, your journey of uh, trying to figure out what in the world is going on in the tribes of coders.
1: Thanks, I had fun talking to.
0: Thank you.